Welcome to the CEC report for the 8th of December 2017. I'm Elisa Barwick and joining me today is our CEC Research Director Robert Barwick. Welcome Robert. Thanks Elisa. And on today's show, fight the foreign interests running Australia. Hint, it's not China. And secondly, bankers go nuts as Corbyn gets closer to power. Now, a couple of notices first before we start. Firstly, if you watch this show on Foxtel, today's Aurora, show... Channel Aurora. Yeah, today's will be the last show. So go to YouTube and search for CEC Australia and become a subscriber and you'll get the show regularly in your inbox. Uh, and secondly, before we get into today's topics, we want to remind people who have been watching our previous shows that the 18th of December, which is in 10 days time, is the final day for submissions to uh, the um, Senate Economics Legislation Committee, which is examining a bill uh, which gives APRA extraordinary powers to be used within a financial crisis. Powers they can use to bail in, we know they'll bail in a uh, certain type of bondholders called hybrids, bonds called hybrid securities that hundreds of thousands of self-funded retirees in Australia would have bought and they could be used to bail in depositors. So make your submission. We put out a um, press release yesterday, Elisa, that people can get on our website if they haven't seen it, about how this claim that APRA um, is this great regulator that kept us safe during the financial crisis is a total fraud. The problem is all members of parliament believe that fraud. If we can bust that and just overwhelm them with submissions, we can change the way they think about this. So make your submission. Mm, so go to our website for more on that. Um, so to today's topics, fight the foreign interests running Australia. Hint, it's not China. So on last week's show, uh, we talked quite extensively about the scandal that has formed around Senator Sam Dastyari, uh, around the accusation that he was um, giving intelligence to a Chinese business person, uh, Huang Xiang Mo. Uh, well, telling him, hey, listen, let's leave our phones inside and step outside, that's called giving intelligence. Yeah, supposedly. Um, now, since that time, and you can, for all the details, you can go back to watch that, but since that time, uh, it's become very clear by actions of the Prime Minister that this is the launch of a broader campaign which intersects a global campaign which is very much anti-China and anti-Russia, and we'll go through the reasons why in a moment. Um, and that's become clear because Turnbull has made an effort to rejig our anti-interference, foreign interference and espionage laws uh, in light of this um, Sam Dastyari scandal. Now, according to the Attorney-General George Brandis, current laws were not enough to allow them to take action against Senator Brandis. Dastyari. Uh, so Senator Dastyari. Um, last night, George Brandis referred Dastyari to the Privileges Committee to investigate if he has in fact been an agent of Chinese influence during his entire time in Parliament. And that committee, by the way, has the power to apply up to six-month jail terms. So the government has introduced three new bills as of yesterday and the new powers that will be introduced if it passes will target anyone quote-unquote covertly acting on behalf of or cooperating with a foreign power against the national interest with penalties of up to life in jail, mind you. And secondly, 
Uh, they have made acting on behalf of a foreign entity to influence our political processes an offence unless it is declared ahead of time and your name put onto a register of people who are representing foreign influences. And the press has widely been saying that this would encompass people like the former trade minister, Andrew Robb, who's now working as a consultant for the Chinese corporation Landridge Group. Uh, Bob Carr, the former foreign minister, who is a director of the Australia-China Relations Institute at the Sydney University of Technology. And even Paul Keating, who acts as an advisor to the China Development Bank. Um, but mind you, they're saying these guys act for, on behalf of foreign influence. But it is being openly said that these new laws are modelled on the US Foreign Agents Registration Act. That's the giveaway. And of course we've seen um, Russian media outlets RT and Sputnik being forced to register as foreign agents in recent weeks. RT's Capitol Hill credentials have been revoked so they can't go you know, to get the news firsthand from Capitol Hill. So basically, look... All of our policies are dictated from overseas. No, exactly. This People have to t take a step back a minute and look at the context here. Sam Dastier, now the, the part we disapprove of, Elisa, but that's just a, as far as I'm concerned, it's a pox in all their houses. Sam Dastiari did something in exchange for money. The major parties change their policies in exchange for money all the time. But the context was... Um, the foreign spokesman for the Labor Party, Stephen Conroy... He made this blood-curdling, um, warmongering speech. We're going to go and we're going to um, lead freedom of navigation exercises in the South China Sea. Where did he make that speech? In Washington. He was sucking up to the United States to make that speech. That's the foreign interference. Sam Dastyari knew that the country upon... Why do we need freedom of navigation in the South China Sea? Because we send a lot of our trade through there. Oh, where's it go? It goes to China. Yeah, they're not they're, going to block They're it. no threat to us. We make a bigger deal about the South China Sea than all the countries involved in the damn dispute, right? This is us running an agenda here that's on behalf of somebody else. But just, just briefly, because you mentioned all these things that are directed from overseas, as you said, this law is a direct copy of America. Malcolm Fraser, before he died, wrote this book, um, uh, Dangerous Allies. And his whole point, as someone who experienced it as a Prime Minister, he said Australia has almost never had independent foreign policy. It's, we've always been run from the United Kingdom or the United States and or the United States. From the top down, the Queen down, it's foreign, right? Um, so there's that. The APRA bills that we're talking mm. about, these are bills that, that are based on a directive drafted in Switzerland in coordination with the Bank of England. Right? That's where these APRA bills have come from. It's foreign directed. That's what we get all the time. Malcolm Turnbull has just announced a new Home Affairs Department to run the, our anti-terrorism um, intelligence in Australia, modelled on the United Kingdom Home Office. He went over there and spoke to him before he came back and brought this idea. Right? And just to mention, ASIO, which has exposed all this about Dastyari because they spied on him, ASIO, get it, out of, get it into your heads, viewers. ASIO is not... The word A, the A in ASIO says Australian, but that's the only thing Australian about it. Mm. This was an agency imposed on Australia by MI5 in 1949. You can call in and get a special copy of this where we reported the alert service a few months ago. They insisted we have it. It operates not primarily as an Australian agency, but part of this thing called the Five Eyes in league with New Zealand, Canada, the United States and the United Kingdom. And in that arrangement, it's the CIA and MI6 that call the shots, thank you, not ASIO. They're doing this because what Dastyari 
in saying something completely moderate that Paul Keating says, Malcolm Fraser says, we say, without any money, they say, no, that is a threat to us. Mm. That's the issue here. Yeah. And the response to it is worth taking a quick look at because obviously, you know, here we are, China's our greatest trading partner, and this follows on another American-dictated or Anglo-American-dictated policy, which was our new foreign policy white paper as well, which the Chinese already were not happy about. So they weren't happy about that. They weren't happy about us trying to create a new alliance with India, Japan and America called the Quadrilateral Dialogue, which was clearly aimed at surrounding China. Uh, and now, of course, you have this foreign interference law. So Global Times, the Chinese paper, wrote that this is reminding us of McCarthyism in the 1950s USA. Just quickly on that, McCarthyism in that period is because we, we were all born when the Cold War was well and truly established. They had to kick this thing off. Most people in America did not buy into the Cold War, right? The guy who should have been president, Henry Wallace, it wouldn't have been a Cold War if he had replaced Roosevelt instead of Truman. And so they had to set, terrorise anybody who resisted it. And that's what McCarthyism was about. That's what we're seeing a repetition of in America around Russiagate and here with this. The Chinese embassy has um, said that some of these claims about Chinese influence and interference are made up out of thin air and filled with a Cold War mentality and ideological bias. And also wanted to reference the comments of both Bob Carr and Andrew Robb. Bob Carr said that, look, there's genuine bewilderment about Australia's policy towards China, especially from business. And he said, we are beginning to look like a shag on the rock of all the American allies. We are the one that has stuck out with an anti-China position. No one else is doing it. And Andrew Robb wrote a letter to the um, security ministers in the cabinet yesterday in which he protested the claims of treasonous activity and said there's no more damaging implication that can be levelled against a present or former political figure. Um, so the implications are serious and after the break we're going to talk about why this is going on. Welcome back to the CEC Report where we're discussing the real foreign interests that are actually running Australian policy. Now, um, we talked about the fact that China and Russia are being ostracised across, across the globe and their media being registered as foreign agents and so on and so forth. And this is happening because Russia and China are both challenging the economic crisis and also the international the resurgence of international terrorism and the, there's a real reaction to real solutions being put on the table to solve those issues because they're the issues that are justifying things like yeah. the APRA bill and the fascist police state laws that are being handed down. Imperialism depends on, has always done divide and a, a divide and conquer strategy and if you solve things like terrorism you know, then nations can cooperate. They don't like that. Exactly. And what China's proposing is a new platform and they've actually gone a long way in already bringing it about. So you've got things like the BRICS alliance, Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa, that are uh, working together and have created platforms through the New Development Bank, for example, to fund infrastructure. You have, of course, the um, Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank that's done a similar thing and the Belt and Road Initiative of China, which is um, sweeping up countries to begin to cooperate and work together to uh, open up routes and corridors for trade, investment, cultural cross um, you know, cross flow and so forth. So this is China's objective with the BRI. And we want to go through a little bit about China's intention in this and a bit of an insight into Chinese President Xi Jinping. So our viewers uh, get a bit of a broader sense of what they are trying to achieve here. So we want to show a few clips from a documentary 
um, produced for Chinese television and uh, it's called The Time of Xi. So this first clip that we'll show is just a general introduction to the series which shows um, Xi Jinping's dedication to uh, an economy oriented to innovation. I find this incredibly fascinating. The government has very deliberately and clearly articulated an agenda to prioritize innovation. They're doing much more than that. Xi Jinping era is based on building a different kind of economy, of innovation, moving up the value chain, using new kind of technologies. Now that video speaks for itself and of course the whole world sees that. That's what we see China doing. I just want to make a point, Alyssa, on this documentary, Kevin Rudd was one of the commentators. He's actually no, he's not as big a fan of China as people think, but he's acknowledging these aspects of the Chinese economy. Mm. And this next clip shows that whilst Xi Jinping grew up in a, a privileged background, when he was 15 years of age he moved to a regional area that was quite poor. So you see what he did there. Xi got his first experience of public administration when he was elected village party secretary at the age of 20. His first project was to set up a foundry and a milling station. But he had even bolder plans. His biggest achievement was to organize the community to bring more land under cultivation. For a contemporary Chinese leader to have an authentic link with the countryside is pretty important. He has eaten bitterness, and the Chinese word for that is churku, and that gives him the moral right to speak in the way that he does now. Xi left the district in 1975. In all, he'd serve in five provinces at every level of the Chinese government. President Xi was the governor in Fujian, party secretary in Zhejiang, and then party secretary in Shanghai. Each one of those provinces are bigger than most countries of the world in terms of numbers of people and size of GDP. Now, I want to say something, Lisa, you can't fake that stuff, right? That's him really, and they're saying, look, he got in there, he got his hands dirty. And don't give me this stuff about, oh, yeah, this is the China, you know, China's creating this great leader cult. We saw similar, you and I watched a video about Hillary Clinton like that the night before the US presidential election. Every country does it, they tell the backstory of their leader. This guy has a really interesting backstory, mm. and he's a very decent human being who's genuine in what he wants to do. Yeah, and you get the real sense of that in this next clip where he. Uh, goes to see one of the people who was part of his project to um, get rid of poverty. So we'll just roll that. Mm. 
Shukajwan's life would change when the village of Shubadong became a testing ground for a new initiative in 2013, the Targeted Poverty Alleviation Scheme. The idea is simple, to identify the poorest families in the poorest villages in China and help them help themselves. Rather than simply hand out benefits, the Poverty Alleviation Scheme asks poor villagers to take chances, be ambitious, pursue dreams. Which is why Mrs. Sher and her neighbours have ploughed a big chunk of the poverty relief fund and their own money into a 160-acre kiwi fruit plantation. Xiu visitor spent time asking various details about her life conditions. At the, uh, the big conference I had in China for the Communist Party last month, all the Western media viewers might remember were saying, oh, this is ominous. Xi has put his um, policies into the constitution. He's asserted his authority like Mao and like Deng Xiaoping. What he's put into that constitution is what you just saw. That principle where he says development can't just be GDP, it has to be something that genuinely uplifts the people. And look, we're not saying you have to become a fan of China. The main thing is don't buy the propaganda you're told that this is the most evil place in the world and we've got to be really afraid of them. Let's sell them all our minerals, mm. right? Wise up, and viewers of the seas of this week's show believe this. That's why I'm saying it, right? I see their comments. Wise up. The question is, do we want a world that, that is always at war, or can we respect what they're doing and ask them to respect what we're doing? That's the, mm. the different kind of system that we're talking about. And there's actually a lot to admire about China under Xi. Mm, and though it's being attacked in Europe quite widely, there's a lot of progress of nations joining with the BRI. And you can read about it in this week's Australian Alert Service. If you haven't done so already, call us for a free copy. And back, we'll be back to talk after the break about what's happening in the UK. Welcome back to the CEC Report. Now we're discussing bankers go nuts as Corbyn gets closer to power. So there's a real political showdown moment approaching in the United Kingdom at the moment and there's a real flap in particular 
over the Corbyn uh, team's proposal for a national investment bank and for a firm ring fence to he, restrain the banks of the City of London. Because there, there could be an election next year and he's 8% ahead in the polls now. That, that whole thing has been... The, the, the uh, animosity against him in, in the public has been broken. He's in the box seat to win. And they're panicking. Um, yeah, Morgan Stanley have said that there's a two-thirds likelihood of a snap election in the second half of next year. But one of the things that brought the flap to the fore is that the Conservative Party's latest budget is based on, and this is a quote, a reduction in spending on pensioner benefits and higher inheritance tax receipts that results from a higher number of deaths. And this, these deaths are the result of the austerity policies, particularly since the GFC 2007-2008. So our policies are working, tee-hee-hee. Um, so in that light, the Corbyn team's policies are really becoming popular because people can see uh, the difference in the two policies very clearly. And Ambrose Evans Pritchard wrote in the 27th November Telegraph that worries about the a diumvirate of Jeremy Corbyn and John McDonnell are approaching systemic levels. But Morgan Stanley, more to the point, um, has basically said that the election of the Corbyn team would be a greater risk to the financial system than a disorderly Brexit. And what we want to show here is Jeremy Corbyn's brilliant response to that. Bankers like Morgan Stanley should not run our country, but they think they do because the party they fund and protects their interests, the Conservative Party, is in Downing Street. That's why they want to keep the Tories there, because their rigged economy and their tax cuts for the richest work for them. These are the same speculators and gamblers who crashed our economy in 2008. And then we had to bail them out. Their greed plunged the world into crisis, and we're still paying the price. Because the Tories used the aftermath of the financial crisis to push through unnecessary and deeply damaging austerity. That's meant a crisis in our public services, falling wages and the longest decline in living standards for over 60 years. Nurses, teachers, shop workers, builders, well just about everyone is finding it harder to get by. While Morgan Stanley's CEO paid himself £21.5 million last year, and UK banks paid out £15 billion in bonuses. Labour is a growing movement of well over half a million members and a government in waiting that will work for the many. So when they say we're a threat, they're right. We're a threat to a damaging and failed system that's rigged for the few. Elisa, well, that is the attitude we all have to have. Because these people, they're not speaking on behalf of the, the world economy and the people. They're speaking on behalf of their system that's just ripped us off for 40 years plus, right? And of course, Corbyn goes, yeah, I'm coming for you. And our fight in Australia about APRA is the same thing. But see, what does Corbyn represent? He has policies for a national investment bank, right, to get the government to invest in the economy, leave the banks on the sidelines, private banks, um, renationalise assets and Glass-Steagall, split the banking system up. That's what they hate. They'll still exist under that system, but they won't be in control. That's what they hate. So just to, you know, our fight against this APRA bill is the same fight as that here, 
and we should have the same attitude. We're coming for you. Mm, very good. And one way we can come for them in Australia, here specifically, the banks, that is, is by putting in your submission by the 18th of December to oppose the government's planned emergency powers for APRA. So on the top of our website, you'll see a link where all the details are provided and you'll get some ideas from reading through that on what you can say, but it can be very simple and very straightforward just putting forward your opposition because deposits could be stolen. And call in and get a free copy of this. Thanks for joining us and tune in again next week.